0: Well, today is a special day. That's why I wore a tie and a jacket. You're, I know a few of you were curious about that. Let me give you the lowdown of what's going to happen this morning. We're going to, I'm going to spend some time in the Word because I think it's important for us to see the charge that we're about to give to Chris Short. After the sermon, I'm going to have Chris and his family come up, and he's going to take some vows before you, church family. Uh, and his commitment to serve the Lord here as pastor and then you also as members will stand and, and give a few vows also and then the elders will be up with me and we will pray and lay hands on, on Chris for ministry and then after prayer we will sing again and then close in the benediction. So I know you appreciate knowing it's going to happen, right? So that's why I gave you the load out here. But open your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 4. We're going to Step out of the Gospel of Luke for this morning. And in uh, 2 Timothy 4, we see the charge that Paul will give to Timothy. But before we begin, regarded as one of the most important and influential figures in Western civilization over the past 1,000 years, John Calvin towers above the landscape of church history as one of the greatest reformers of the 16th century. John Calvin was a man of immense abilities and prolific industry, a monumental pillar of Christian faith. He was a world-class theologian, a revered exegete, a renowned teacher, a master commentator, a church statesman, and most enormous leader of the Protestant movement. But first and foremost, Calvin was a pastor. A faithful shepherd for almost 30 years, and amid his many pastoral duties, he was primarily a preacher of the word. For this authoritative reformer, biblical preaching was job number one. John was born over 500 years ago, July 10th, 1509 in France, and his father sent him to school to be a priest when he was young, and he earned his Master of Arts degree when he was eighteen. His father would have a change of heart and then would send John to law school to become a lawyer. However, after his father died, John would return to Paris to study theology. Although John Calvin was raised a devout Catholic, during school he would attend meetings to discuss these reformers who were leaving the church, and most intriguing one, can you guess, Martin Luther. Who was this man that was teaching that salvation was God's gift and couldn't be earned? John was interested, but very cautious. Secretly, they would read the writings of Martin Luther, but he was dangerous because Protestants were being persecuted. But John couldn't find any peace in absolutions or penances or intercessions of the church. In 1533, when Calvin was 24 years old, God suddenly converted him through the private study of the word. Calvin would write in his commentary of the Psalms that God subdued me and made me teachable like a flash of light I realized in what an abyss of errors and what chaos I was. He would then move from place to place after his conversion, escaping death because of the Roman Catholic view of Protestants. He would eventually land in Geneva, Switzerland, and there he would stay and he would preach. It was written Calvin had no weapon but the Bible. From the very first, his emphasis had been on Bible teaching. Calvin preached from the Bible every day, and under the power of that preaching, the city began to be transformed. And the people of Geneva acquired knowledge of God's word and were changed in it. And the city became, as John Knox later would call it, a new Jerusalem from which the gospel spread to the rest of Europe, England, and the new world. If Calvin had been forced to relinquish all of his ministries except one, it would have been the pulpit. During the medieval centuries, the the, the main emphasis of preaching had all been but lost. The pulpit was relegated to a much lower status with the Mass and ritualism assuming the most prominent place. The Reformation would change that significantly. The Reformation was so pulpit-driven that it actually changed the architecture of the churches. One writer says, the altars long the centers of Latin mass be removed from the churches and that pulpit with a Bible on it be placed at the center of the building. This was not to be on one side of the room, but at the very center where every line of the architecture would carry the gaze of the worshiper to the book, which alone carries the way of salvation and outlines the principles upon which the church of the living God is to be governed. And more than the preaching was regained, expository preaching was regained. Instead of a long, fanciful story about saints and martyrs, instead of passages from Aristotle and Seneca, the reformers would preach the Bible. The question was no longer what did the Pope say, but what did the Bible say? And the preacher's one great task was to set forth doctrinal and moral teachings of the word of God above all else. The Bible, a long-neglected book in the public gathering of the church, was now suddenly restored to the Reformed pulpit, and no one preached the Bible more than John Calvin. As a naturally shy and introverted man, Calvin never sought the spotlight, much less controversy, and said he was a reclusive individual who preferred the quiet seclusion of the scholar's study. But Calvin was providentially thrusted into the pulpit in Geneva where he preached the full counsel of God's word. Calvin's pulpit electrified Geneva and sent shockwaves throughout the world. Calvin's teaching soon would would travel across the Atlantic to America where the arrival of pilgrims. One author writes of Calvin said Sunday after Sunday, day after day, Calvin climbed the steps into the pulpit. There he patiently led his congregation verse by verse through book after book of the Bible. So committed was Calvin to consecutive expository preaching that when he returned to Geneva, September 13th, 1541, after being banished for four years, he resumed his exposition at precisely the next verse that he left off. He picked up where he left off four years earlier. Calvin would preach faithfully for many decades, facing many difficulties and strains, and he would remain faithful to the end because of the Lord's help. His last sermon was preached on February 6th, 1564, when a violent coughing interrupted his message. His forces stepped down from the pulpit, and his congregation realized that he would never enter it again. The time at last had come for Calvin to lay down the invincible weapon of spiritual warfare, the preached word, and enter into the presence of his glorious Lord. On May 27th, 1564, Calvin died. According to his humble request, he was buried in an unmarked grave. For some of you, you know, I lived in Europe for a period of time. When we lived in Sweden in 2014, my wife and I, and Charlotte as a baby, traveled to Geneva, Switzerland on a European airline for $14. Yeah, it was worth it. We wanted to see Geneva, we wanted to see the sites. I've read so much about John Calvin. I wanted to see where he preached, I wanted to see the Reformation wall. And a lot had changed in 450 years since Calvin was there in his death. The city was still very much gorgeous, but the churches were empty. They were museum-like. In fact, they charged you to go inside. They were a museum. Preaching had long but evaporated from their midst. Instead, the churches would sell tours to people like me to, to keep the lights on. And he began to wonder, at least I did, What killed the churches in Geneva, Switzerland? Well, we know, I think, right? When the Bible stopped being faithfully preached, churches died. When pastors stopped preaching the word, people left. The buildings are still gorgeous, but there's no life in them. And I wonder where are the pastors? Where's the preaching? See, it only takes one generation the church can falter and shrivel up. The same concern for preaching in the church was at the heart of Paul as he writes his last letter from a cold prison in Rome to Timothy. The church must not end, Paul desired, if he had anything to say about it. Timothy, his protege in the ministry, needed to keep the faith he needed to keep pressing on in ministry, to keep preaching. And, and Paul would, would write to Timothy to, to let him know of the difficulties and struggles in ministry. It'd be those challenges that Timothy would have. But above all else, Timothy would need to preach the word. He would need to persevere in proclaiming Christ's finished work on the cross. So this morning, I, I chose this passage because we're installing a pastor, a new associate pastor. So, Chris, if you, you need to raise your hand there everyone sees you Uh, primarily this sermon is going to be focused towards you brother and you're all going to listen in because I think there's things for you to learn about this also as we look through this passage you're going to be able to glean some things as we walk through these few verses so don't check out of the first section but the second section will be to you the congregation and your responsibility here so you need to listen carefully and apply what God's word says so here's the main idea. If you write down this main point, you'll see it as we walk through it. The Bible is the main point of every Sunday gathering, so the main point of pastoral ministry is preaching the Bible. And I have two points real simple this morning. The pastor in the Bible, that's for Chris, and the pa- and the congregation in the word. So if you haven't already turned with me to 2 Timothy chapter four, if you're using a Bible that's in the, in the chairs there, please feel free to use that. It's on page 936. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to take that home with you. And follow with me as I read just the first five verses of 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So first is the pastor in the word. If you back up just a few verses into chapter 3, you see the significance of the word. Look at verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We should trust the word for all of life because the Bible speaks to all of life and it's profitable for, for all of life. The Bible is sufficient for all of life. It doesn't lack anything that we need. And so the way you'll be complete and equipped for every good work, Chris, is to be a man in the word. And so man, and then Paul continues in this charge there in in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. These have to be the most two paramount verses for any man who's to be a pastor. We have a charge from God above. There is a king and a throne and there's a kingdom. And preachers are under the scrutiny of God first and foremost, the one who will judge the living and the dead. We preach under the watch of the omniscient holy judge over all. No preacher on earth goes unnoticed because all preaching comes before God's throne. God hears all preaching. People may not notice the preacher. They may ignore him week after week, but God never ignores the preaching or the preacher. He hears and he sees everything. And so this should give us pause as preachers, as pastors. We ultimately have an audience of one. The one is King Jesus. He said in John's gospel, chapter 5, verse 22, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead, and he is coming back to judge. And Paul reminds Timothy of his appearing in his kingdom. His, his appearing is, is a verb form in the Greek, meaning to shine forth, to appear, to become visible. And to all who, who loved his appearing will receive a crown of righteousness. But there will be some who will not love his appearing. There will be some who dread it. And that's why Timothy must preach the word. That's what we're to preach of Christ and what he's done. And, and we need to be honest, preaching is a strange thing, okay? Uh, living as a pastor for many years, I, I see the strange looks when I talk to my neighbors and they ask me what I do for a living. You're a pastor, you preach. You know, they, they find it really strange that I would, most of my job is spent, spending hours upon hours studying to prepare a 45-minute talk to a group that are assembled, to, to prep time to teach the Bible. And, and especially in our, in our age that we live in, the, the, the pithy sound bites and immediate interaction, sitting to listen to the preached word is strange in our culture. I mean, most of our communication is done by short editorials or, or short blog posts or even now Facebook comments and, and tweets. Our attention spans have been trained by our culture and molded by television shows that switch camera angles every seven to eight seconds so that you don't get bored. And if they waited any longer, you would turn the channel. And then the preacher now on Sunday stands before the congregation and expects you to sit and to listen to a talk for 45 minutes. And you cannot comment or dialogue You can understand why preaching is a strange thing in our culture today. But it's a lot like salvation, isn't it? What did you do do to earn salvation? Nothing. You received it. God does all the work. And you benefit from it. The word preach here in, in 2 Timothy was originally a political term, not a religious one. It referred to the function of a herald. If a king had a message to get out, he couldn't just call a press conference or the news media to publish his message. No, he needed someone to herald the message, to communicate the news. And so to preach means to herald, to proclaim it publicly, to get the message out. And pastors proclaim a message. And the importance of preaching rests in its content, not in its function. Pastor H.B. Charles says, our preaching is not the reason the word works. The word is the reason our preaching works. So whatever is working here at EBC is simply because we're focused and desiring to preach the word, to teach the word, to declare the word every week if we have a chance. And expository preaching on Sunday is the main thing that happens here every week. And maybe you've heard us talk about expository preaching. You don't really know what that word means. Here's what it means. It's the main point of the passage is the main point of the sermon. Expository preaching is Bible-driven. This preaching exposes God's word to God's people. It opens it up for them, and then it applies it to their hearts so that they can understand it, and they seek to obey it. So, Chris, those who presume to speak for God would do well to make sure that what they say is what he says. If there's one person in the entire universe whose mouth that we don't want to put words into, it's God. So the content of all of our biblical preaching must be the word of God. The word is the body of doctrine, which is the Old Testament. And for Timothy, it's what he's learned from Paul in the New Testament. The word must be what we preach. We have no liberty to invent what we want to preach. As a preacher, Chris, you have the holy responsibility and unspeakable privilege of heralding God's timeless truth to God's people. You have no license to preach anything but the Bible. We are not professional speakers, we are not stand up comedians, we are not spiritual advisors, we are preachers of God's word. And if we begin to preach something else, we've wandered outside the call of God on you and the call that this church has given you. We've wandered outside our, our area of competence. And so we have no authority to declare a message other than the word of God. So when are we to preach? That's the next question here that, that Paul brings. He says to be ready in season and out of season. We need to be ready all the time. Because the gospel is a fruit that's in season all year long. We're to never lose our sense of urgency. We're to preach at all occasions if it permits, whether it's convenient or not. And and what time really is it convenient for us to preach? It seems that there's never really a convenient time. So the preacher, we need to be ready at all times to to teach and preach God's word. And so our ministry should, should be known for readiness, not laziness. The seasons never look great to preach. There's, there's probably never a suitable time to preach the truth of God's word. So we need to be ready at any time. We should never come to the pulpit timid or unwilling to declare the whole counsel of God's word. And we should never preach presuming upon God. As the Puritan Richard Baxter said, I preach as never sure to preach again as a dying man to dying men. So this could be my last sermon. Chris could be your full time preacher next week, but I need to preach in a way that glorifies God regardless. And we should echo Paul's words to Romans. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And so, Chris, you need to be eager to preach and teach, eager to share the truth of the Bible. If our first inclination is to pull back, then we might need to reconsider our calling. People are on the brink of eternity. And they need us to preach with earnesty. People are starving for God's word, even if they don't know it. They realize the hollow places in their life, the shallowness, the lack of insight, the lack of understanding, the the lack of joy, and they can't solve the problems on their own. They need to hear the word preached. And then Paul moves from the when to the how. How should it be preached? He says to reprove, rebuke, And exhort with complete patience and teaching. As pastors, we need to know the condition of our flock and wait on the Lord for how we're to navigate a particular passage in the scriptures and addressing them. Sometimes God's people need to be rebuked for their wrong beliefs or ungodly lifestyles. Paul does this so well in the book of 1 Corinthians and Galatians. And other times, people need to be reproved in order to get them back on the path of righteousness. So what this means, friends, is that church discipline is actually done every single week here. When we gather, church discipline is happening. When the preacher expounds the Bible and we call this formative discipline, the proclamation of the gospel always calls for repentance. And therefore, by nature, it's confrontational because it's declaring that the hearer is going in the wrong direction. And so the Bible corrects us, it reproves us when we wander away from God and his will. And so friends, it's vital for you to be here when the church gathers for worship. It's it's important for you to be a faithful Christian to a local church. So whether you're a member here or another church, you need to commit to that church and attend faithfully. And I'm serious, friends, this is a gracious rebuke. If you're not a member faithfully attending, faithfully sitting under God's word, then I don't know what you mean when you say you're a Christian. Because this is what Christians do. This is what Christians should be known for. We don't know you well enough if you just attend occasionally and never make yourself known to this church and to the elders. And the way you make yourself known is is by applying for membership, by meeting with the elders, by sharing your life and testimony, by getting to know other people in the church, developing relationships with people in the body. That's what membership looks like. So if you've been waffling and becoming a member, I want to encourage you to stop waffling. Commit to a church. If you're visiting here, you don't live in this area and you've not committed, you need to find a church in your area and commit there. To serve and to sit under the preaching of the word. You need to commit to pray for that church family. You need to commit to to give cheerfully to that church. You need to commit to be be known in that church and to walk with other Christians as they follow Christ. And and friends, just so you know, if you think we're just selling Edgewood Bible Church, I know of at least seven churches in a 10-mile radius that are gospel preaching churches. I would love to direct you there. If this church isn't a fit for you, I'm looking for those that be committed to church. That's what I believe the scripture teaches us. Well, the third thing, Paul says that we should exhort in this list here, and that's what I just did. A preacher should exhort to encourage the church family when they're facing fear, anxiety, or trouble, or burdens. Spurgeon says my aim in every sermon is to call sinners to quicken the saints and to be made a blessing to all. People begin to lose patience though even with sound teaching and so Paul encourages Timothy to preach and and preach he says with complete patience and teaching and so Chris you need to be patient and let God work and if I'm honest after serving as a pastor for many years it's hard As pastors, we have short vision. We regularly overestimate what can happen in five years and underestimate what can happen in 20 years. And we need to be faithful and consistent and allow God to work in the hearts of people. Our job is to persuade people to consider what God says in his word, to be loving, to be loyal to him, and to wait for the Spirit to work in their hearts. But friend, this can take years. We're all impatient people. We we struggle daily with patience. I didn't get any amens on that. Whether it's on the road, driving, and impatience flares up, or at work with those that are working and seemingly are incompetent, or at home with kids, we all struggle with patience. We lack patience and we're... We're easy to give ourselves a free pass when we're not up to snuff, but we seldom give as much patience to other people. And I want to encourage you, friends. Consider again this morning how patient God has been with you. Even for a moment, consider how patient he's been with you. Consider the years of unbelief before God saved you. He was patient. Consider the sinful patterns of your life right now that you've refused to confess and forsake. friend. God is patient with you right now. And for those that are here and not Christian, God's patience is on display in this very moment, drawing you here this morning. He patiently brought you here to sit under the preached word, perhaps to bring you to faith in Jesus. And God in his graciousness and patience invites you to submit yourself to him in all things. So friends, to all of us, when you begin to lose patience this week, consider God. Think of him and how patient he's been with you. And pray for your pastors who struggle too, who struggle with patience as we earnestly desire for people to learn what the scriptures say and to apply it to their lives We sometimes forget how long it took us to learn and grow. It will be easy, Chris, to begin to believe that ministry isn't worth it. That people don't get it, that they'll never get it, and that it's time to move on. That'll be easy. And So, brother, I want to exhort you to be patient. To wait on the Lord. Not on his people. Wait on God to do the work of transformation. Our job is to preach and teach and pray and stay. And so let's be patient with God's people and wait for God to do the work. Paul says the pastors to preach here with complete, which, which means whole or nothing lacking, that type of patience. It's a sincere patience for the people there to teach. But yet they're to preach. There are some pastors and they only teach. But Paul says we need to be both. Both need to be seen. Remember, preaching is heralding the facts, but teaching is explaining the facts. And both need to be present in a sermon for it to be well-rounded for the listener. You declare boldly what the word says, and then you explain what the word means and how to apply it to people's lives. And we desperately need another generation of preachers who preach the word theologically. That means we need clear thinking and accurate work. We need more preachers who love to declare and teach God's word in all aspects of church ministry, from the pulpit to the classroom to the living room. So work to be a well-rounded preacher and teacher as you serve. Now skip down to verse 5 here. We'll come back to verse 3 and 4 That's a, that applies to you, the congregation, but look at verse 5. He says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The preacher must have a clear mind. That's what it means by sober-minded. Have you ever tried to talk to a drunk person? It never goes very far. It's very clouded, distracted. They can't think clearly. Sober-minded means that we're to be serious, sane, well-balanced, sensible, and self-controlled. We're to be free of every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness. And as a pastor, Chris, we must not lose our heads when we are faced with opposition or, or hang our heads when we're discouraged. We must remain calm and sane like an airline pilot flying through rough air. Alistair Begg says that pastors need to avoid having a fat head being puffed up with pride or a bobblehead bouncing around to every doctrinal fad and, and even being empty-headed, which means getting involved in ignorant controversies. We shouldn't be sick-headed, having a mind filled with immorality, or hot-headed, responding to critics with anger or malice. Instead, as Paul says, we're to be gentle. As pastors, we should be level-headed, self-controlled, steady, and stable. So church, pray for Chris in this way, that he would be a pastor of this kind. We, We need to be this way as we serve the church, and we need you, church, to think this way also. Pastors need to be so minded but we also need to be in, able to endure suffering. I never realized how much suffering I would encounter once I entered the ministry. But like everyone else in this world, you will suffer as a pastor. So endure hardship and suffering. It's a recurrent theme that we see in Paul's letter here to Timothy. This is the fifth time he's instructed Timothy to be ready for it. And people won't want to hear truth. And so we need to be prepared to suffer. Ministry is not for the faint of heart. People will turn their backs on you. They will slander you. People will hurt you. They will reject you and your ministry. Paul says we need to endure suffering. People will leave. They will abandon you. They will forget all of the work that you've done on their behalf. But Friend, you need to press on and endure suffering. And then he says to do the work of evangelists. fulfill your ministry pastors are to teach the church and we're to preach the gospel That's part of preaching and so Chris the gospel should be in every sermon preached from this pulpit and from every class on this campus a call to repentance and friends you shouldn't have to wonder if you'll ever hear the gospel at EBC it should be reoccurring here everyone here this morning will have to answer God All people everywhere will need to repent. And every one of you, no matter your age, you will stand before God. So if you're here and you're not in Jesus Christ, if you brush him off now, you will still answer to him later. If you're mocking him with your life, you will answer for that too. If you're holding up your baptism certificate or your salvation card from your youth, you're not trusting in him. You're trusting in that thing you did. If you're, if you're thinking and holding on to your walking down the aisle for salvation as a kid, you're not trusting in God either. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's not the experience that saves you. It's God that saves you. So our trust needs to be in him and not the experience. Jerry Bridges has a helpful definition. He says, trust is not a passive state of mind. It is a vigorous act of the soul by which we choose to lay hold on the promises of God and cling to them despite the adversity that at times seeks to overwhelm us. So picture it this way. If you're holding on to a rope for safety with two hands, you, you can't hold on to the rope with one hand and reach out for salvation another way. You hold on with both to God at the same time. You have to hold on to him, to trust him. And it's him alone. And So my unbelieving friends, again, this message of the Bible is that we, who are made to know God, have separated ourselves from God by our own sin. And we all have deserving of God's judgment by the way we live. But God, in his great love in Christ, has come and lived a life deserving of no punishment and he's taken our sins on his body on the cross, the sins of all those from every nation who repent and believe in him. And he calls us now to repent and to believe and to follow him. So friends, turn from your sins of trusting in yourself, of holding on to things in yourself, thinking you're gonna get there on your own and, and, and hold on to him. Trust in Christ this morning. Let go of everything that you're trusting on earth here for salvation and trust in Jesus alone. If you're here this morning and you want to talk more about this, I would love to talk. I know I would. I know Chris would. I know there's people in your row that would love to talk to you about the gospel. So see us afterwards. And to my believing friends, to my Christian friends, we should never grow tired of hearing the gospel preached. If you do, You might be in a dangerous situation that you need to look at. Christians should love to hear the gospel preached over and over. Why? Because it is the love story that drew them to the Savior, and you never get over. You never get over of coming to know Jesus. Christian, do you remember when when God drew you to Himself? Do you remember the joy of your salvation? If you're bored with the gospel, you might be in a dangerous situation. Or if the gospel stresses you out, then perhaps you're believing a false gospel, one of works. See, the gospel, the good news of Jesus dying for us, shouldn't stress us out, it should free us. Because he takes our sin on himself, and we get his righteousness. And so we need to rejoice in the gospel. We need the glory in the gospel of God saving us. I know I've said this before, but Martin Luther was asked by one of his congregants, why do you preach the gospel to us week after week? And he replied, because week after week, you forget it. We've all forgotten the good news this week, and we need to be reminded this morning. Remember, friends, you were once alienated from God because of your sin, and now you've been reconciled, redeemed, and refreshed in him. You have new life because of what Christ has done. And so don't get over, don't get over the gospel. Don't get bored with it. Remind yourself of what God has done through it. Well, that was my first point, and that was the longer one. I'm almost done, okay? The second one is for you, the church, the congregation and the word, and the Bible. Paul is very precise in giving Timothy the reason why he must continue to preach the word. It's because people naturally move away from truth. Look back at verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Do you know why false teachers are so successful? Because people have itching ears and they want them to be scratched. Paul does spend time in this letter discussing the ministry of false teachers, but here his focus is not on the false teachers but the congregation the listeners that eat up that teaching. Mark Twain was quoted once saying, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture they do not understand, but the passages that bother me are those I do understand. When the rubber meets the road in our minds and our hearts, will we either choose to believe and live out the truth of the Scriptures or will we walk away, unable to endure? Christians endure sound teaching Christians endure hard truths from the Bible. Christians endure the word of God, even when it contradicts their life. They will seek to adjust their life, not the word of God. When Paul says itching here, he's talking about a craving that people will have to hear sensational news, to see miracles, to explore occult mysteries, to indulge in unsound teaching, to espouse fanciful theories on the fulfillment of prophecy, and to spawn weird cults. That's from commentator John Phillips. And the better word for itching probably is tickled, not itching, to have your ears tickled. To have your ears tickled is to want massages rather than messages. Sermons that entertain rather than edify or build up. And tickled is a figure of speech that refers to people's desires, their their felt needs, their current wants. When people have itching or tickling ears, they begin to decide what is right or wrong for themselves. And they begin to seek out pastors and churches that support their own thoughts rather than hearing the Bible. Itching ears are most concerned about what feels right, what feels good, what brings comfort, what doesn't challenge. They aren't concerned with truth, especially if that truth contradicts their life. They much prefer myths, wandering away from truth. Myths are much more comfortable because anyone can be an expert in myths. Anyone can be an expert in conspiracy theories. Anyone can be a genius when you invent the truth. So be aware, Christians, of your Christian friends who visit many churches a year. The problem may not be the church. It may be that they're not able to endure sound teaching. They might want to sit under the word and and, and only like the things that don't affect them, that don't challenge them but we need to be people that sit under the word and allow the Bible to dictate how we live. And it's easy today to choose your preacher in your church. You can literally have sermons of the thousands available at your fingertips at any point. If you don't like the preaching at your church, you can just download a few preachers or hop on YouTube and watch some preachers that desire not to confront you, that don't know you, And 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 tell you exactly what you want to hear. Spurgeon said, When a man will not believe the truth, he is sure before long to be greedy believer of lies. So let me ask, friend, what kind of doctor do you want when you're sick? You You felt horrible for a while. You recognize it and you go into the doctor's office to seek answers. You need help. What what kind of doctor do you want? Do you want a doctor that's going to tickle your ears? You're fine. Don't worry about this. You've got this. Just keep plugging away. You're going to be great. Is that the kind of doctor that you want when you're seriously ill? When you perhaps know there's medicine or help or procedure that can help you? You know what an oncologist is, right? A cancer doctor. These doctors deliver bad news every day. And each patient goes into their office wanting to hear that the tumor is benign. That's what they want to hear. But if they alter their diagnosis when cancer was present to please the patient, that patient would be in great danger. You don't want a doctor to tell you what you want to hear, you want a doctor to tell you what you need to hear. And, friends, the same is for a church. The same is for a preacher. You want a preacher to tell you what you need to hear. Paul says there is a time coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having ancient ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, teachers to tell them just what they want to hear. He's saying that people will grow weary of the old plain gospel of Jesus Christ, itching for something easier, something more entertaining, someone who doesn't confront, someone who doesn't exhort or rebuke, someone who just tells me what I want to hear. Is that true of you, friend? Have you grown tired of hearing the truth of God's word? Is the gospel boring to you? And I have to confess that sometimes preachers can be boring, but the truth should never be boring. So don't confuse the two. As preachers, Chris, we need to show in our words about the truth of the gospel that it is literally the best news in the world. Preachers are heralds proclaiming that the king has come to redeem us that we need to turn from our sins and turn to him and trust in him alone this is the best news in the world and people should know that by our words and how we declare it, that it is the best news we want the word to impact others because the word has impacted us so deeply and so if you're a committed member of a church where you regularly attend, either here or somewhere else, where you give financially, you're paying for the pastor's salary. And you become partly responsible for what's taught in the pulpit. This is true for every church that you'll ever join. And you should sit under the word as it's preached. And you should sit engaged in what's taught and preached. And maybe you need to grow in how you listen to a sermon. Are you fully engaged as the sermon is preached. It's work to listen to a sermon. I've listened to many. It's work. And part of your work should be the week prior that will help serve you, friends, to read the text over and over, preparing your heart as you come to church on Sunday. We strive to tell you what's going to be preached before it's going to be preached so that you can spend time in the Word, meditating on it, reading it, Asking God to work it in your heart and then pray and ask God to speak through that preacher. Thomas Watson said, when we come to the word, we should think within ourselves, we are to hear God in this preacher. And so come that way on Sundays. You know, for me, when I'm reading the Bible devotionally each day through my reading plan, I also read the text that's going to be preached that next week. So friends, don't rob yourself. Spend time in the word, meditating on the passage before it's preached and just write it down. Next week is Psalm 139 and we're going to have our new pastor preach. So spend time in the word. Every day, sitting under God's word, meditating on Psalm 139 and as you come, you're going to come prepared to hear God's word preached as Chris has spent all week studying the word, preparing to preach the word. And God will use that in your life. Friends, if you don't wish for your ears to be tickled, you cannot neglect the truth of scriptures. You have to be in the word. This is one of the main ways God has given us to endure to the end. Thomas Cranmer said, we should read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest God's word. Our our time in the word should be regular. Our study should be diligent. Our meditation should be thoughtful. Our references to the Bible should be frequent. If we're Christians, this is what we're called to do, to feed upon God's word to us. And if you've failed, friends, you've joined with us. We all have this week. And so strive to your best to be in the word. Find a friend to hold you accountable, to just call and text as as you're in the Bible this week, to love and care for one another. You'll have days, we understand but as best you can, with the, with the body of Christ here, strive to be in the word. Love the word and find nourishment and spiritual supply in the word. Keep pressing on, friends. Well, the center of our worship on Sunday mornings should be the word preached. And we're going to be unapologetic about that. John Calvin was right to make the word preached the focal point of a gathered worship. And that's what we'll endeavor to do here at EBC. And I pray that God would allow us to continue to train and develop more preachers for his kingdom, that God would continue to be generous to us to hire more pastors possibly in the future to carry out the work of the gospel here in Edgewood and throughout the world. So hold fast to that hope, friends. Pray with us to that end. At this time, I want to ask Chris and his family to come up, and uh, we're going to spend a few moments, and there are going to be the slides on the screen behind me of, of these vows. Elders, you can come up too, Please. We have vows that we've prepared for Chris. I think there's a mic. Do we have a mic back here? You have it. He's got it. Come on up stage here, or on the platform here. It's good to have you girls. Chris, it's been a good day. Thankful for this. I'm going to read through these, and then you have the list there, but uh, you've looked at it and you respond through each of these vows. Yes, we have some flowers for you, Kate. All right. Chris, do you affirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the very Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you sincerely believe the statement of faith and covenant of Edgewood Bible Church contain the truth taught in the Holy Scriptures? I do. Do you promise that if any time you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements in the statement of faith and covenant, You will, on your own initiative, make known to the elders the change which has taken place in your views since your assumption of this vow? I do. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Edgewood Bible Church? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? I do, with God's help. Have you been induced, as far as you know, in your own heart to accept the role of the associate pastor of this congregation from love of God, and sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? I have. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in the promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? I do, with God's help. Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties Associate pastor, whether personal or relative, private or public, and will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk into the walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? I will by the grace of God. So will the members of Edgewood Bible Church please stand? I have two for you members. It'll be on the screen here in the response. Do you, the members of Edgewood Bible Church, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as associate pastor, as a gift of Christ to this church? Will you love and pray for him in his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God? Will. Well, that is the vow. So we also want to mention before we pray that I, I've met with Kate. She's already given her testimony. And so today's a significant day. Chris has introduced his pastor and Kate is now a member of Edgewood Bible Church. So we're glad to have you. And you too could just get the benefits of all that. All right. You just absorb those benefits from mom and dad. Okay. Once the elders come on over here and I'm going to pray for Chris and his family. Would you all stand and join me as I pray? Father, we gather here together to witness and participate in this installation of Chris Short as associate pastor of Edgewood Bible Church. And we humbly acknowledge that this process was initiated by you alone and that we merely recognize and affirm your sovereign work here. For this is your church called into being by you. We praise you and thank you that you have chosen Chris to be a shepherd of the flock here at our church. And we further acknowledge that only by your grace and mercy can we fulfill the promises we've just made. May we be faithful in our prayers for Chris and his family. Continually seeking grace for him to discharge his duties to your glory and for the good of Edgewood Bible Church. May we be faithful in seeking to receive the word of truth preached and taught with meekness and love and to submit to Chris in all matters of discipline. May we always be encouraging and supportive of Chris and his gospel labor. May we be generous to him with time and treasure so that he may be free of worldly cares in order that he may equip the saints for the work of ministry, building of the body of Christ and the unity of faith and the knowledge of you to fulfill Christian maturity. Father, we are the most blessed of people, chosen by you to be a part of your supernatural work on earth, your church, a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of your own possession, all so that we may proclaim your excellencies. You have called us out of darkness to your marvelous light. May we be ever mindful of our status as your people, bought by the blood of your Son and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And may this congregation and Chris and Kate and the girls be always faithful and obedient to you and your church by and through your grace in the name of the Lord Jesus for his sake and for his glory. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. We love you, brother. Thank you for joining us.